0: Prop Sessions is brought to you by Prop Media, who partner with agents to generate
1: 50 exclusive seller and buyer leads every single month on autopilot. That's guaranteed, or you get your money back. If you're interested
0: in trying out Prop Media risk-free, head over to www.propmedia.co.uk to book a call today. Nah. Welcome back to Prop Sessions, the podcast that brings together businesses and leaders within the property industry. Today, I'm really excited to have on Alex Thorpe, MD at Netting Agent. Uh, Netting Agent, if you don't know, have been going since 2012. Um, they've really you know, grown consistently year on year. They are completely self-funded. By their directors and independently owned within the property industry, Um, they've actually remained one of the largest estate agent comparison websites, uh, working with over eight thousand estate agents and letting agents. Welcome, Alex. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure, pleasure. And you know, it's funny because we, you know, we jump on these calls. You know, this isn't the first call we've had. We've had, you know, several in-depth calls. Kind of leading up to this, and we always get into what's really going on in the property market. you know we both individually have access to quite a lot of data um, and are able to kind of see you know what's happening in terms of the whole of the u k property market so I thought, why not this time let's get it let's get it out there let's kind of let let people see it um, and mm-hmm. really see things from your perspective really where there are real feet on the ground you know mm-hmm. um so you know just to, to start i 'd love you know. Just to kind of go into a little bit about how Net actually came about, sort of back in uh,
1: 2012 when you launched. Yeah, no, that's fine. So, so the idea originally came around from very simply. I was, I, I've, I've been working as an architect, and I trained as an architect, and I was working in an architectural practice, and um, and we'd set up a, a development company that I was that I was running, and we were doing residential uh, developments between sort of four and fourteen units, generally staying under the affordable housing limits and um and because of that I often used to get asked by friends, you know, oh we're thinking of selling, what should we do? How should we operate? And you realise that, you know, because it's a a transaction that takes place so rarely for the majority of people, the general understanding of the process is actually quite quite sort of limited. Um, and I had a couple of friends who were both selling selling flats in the West End of Folkestone and they were both on with the same agent and paying an entirely different fee because one of them as a, had, had negotiated quite hard with the agent. And the other one didn't really understand that that was something that was an opportunity for them and they could have negotiated because they just didn't really know what the situation was and they were paying a, a, a very high fee. And off the back of that, I, I started sort of toying with the idea of actually, you know, there is no way that we'd come across or I'd come across where you could actually find out exactly what the agents were gonna charge you and create some transparency. And obviously it felt to me as though, you know, a lot of of processes online, including service uh, Mm -hmm. industries were, were starting to, you know, open up and be a lot clearer about the fees, especially legal practices and things like that. But a state agency was still one of the things that the agents were quoting per property. And it was almost a barter situation, which people typically, don't like in this country. We're not a great nation of sort of barterers. And I thought that having a simple site that allowed the agents to advertise to vendors very cheaply and and then vendors in turn to get an overview of the market, who worked in their area, and what fees they were gonna charge would probably be appealing to to both parties. Um, And that's what created the initial idea, and that's where it sort of came from in terms of building a company where people could go on and, and have a comparison site. The difficulty of course came with if you're setting up a comparison site for insurance products, you might need 15, 20 companies that you work with. If you're providing a similar sort of service for for estate agents, you need 15 in every single area in the country to cover each property. You know, so you're talking about designing a CRM system or operating system that can deal with thousands of Thousands of of agents uh, uh, interactions and that is really what why probably there weren't people doing it before because obviously that's quite difficult and then to get the buy in with the agents and say look you know in 2012 there was a there was our, our biggest issue without a shadow of a doubt a lot of agents wanted to use the system but they didn't like the concept of putting a fee forward prior to getting their foot through the door uh, and. And actually, it wasn't until 2014-15 when the online agents started getting some degree of traction that we saw a change in the sentiment of the, of the agents to say, no, actually, you know, we can still work well and do well being open and, uh, and clear on our fees and differentiating. And, and, you know, in some way, it was a bit of a fight back against the online agents who were obviously all about their fee. And actually, when people realised that that they could they could you know they could instruct vendors at a good through free through a system like ours, we then suddenly saw the market open up, and the agent engagement you know grew very very quickly at that point. Um, and I think you know that that really triggered um, in some respects the, the success of Net Agent because suddenly agents were happy to increase their digital footprint and and use a site like ours
0: and so 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 back then in those first kind of three years before it sounds like you know you've got that hockey stick kind of growth yeah. what were you really doing to engage with agents and actually you know get get in front of them to show them what
1: you could offer well it became it became pretty clear that there was a vendor demand to have an overview of the market people liked the fact that they could see the fees and see the agents that worked um, it's important to point out that actually we did see very early on some some changes in certain areas where the where you know if it was an area where you got off the tube and there were ten estate agency branches around the exit of the tube, we were never going to really get sort of penetration in that area. Vendors, you know, they could very easily speak to all the agents, but in areas. Um, especially ones that maybe hit with uh, town planning in the 1960s, 70s, and the centres have become very dispersed, and the agents weren't grouped together. We noticed that, you know, in those areas, people really weren't that aware of what agents operated in their, in, you know, in their area, in their streets. And, and, and we found that that gave us the best traction. So we started to focus on, right, these are the areas where people need our service more. I mean, this is somewhat... Generalised now, but in the very early days, and of course, those were the areas where the agents were saying, "Well, actually, this works out as a good way of us reaching out because we don't actually get that much footfall through our through our uh, branch, and therefore, this is a good way of reaching out and another form of advertising." So, what we started to do was speak to the agents in those areas where we know we'd be better res- uh, received, and actually started to build from those areas outward. Got
0: it. So you said it was around sort of 14, 15 when things really started to pick up,
1: you know. Yeah, we know it's just a dramatic change in, in the sort of sentiment of, of local or traditional or however you refer to them, the estate agents at the time.
0: So what, what's your kind of viewpoint now? You know, now we've had, you know, obviously traditional around for a long time and now online more recently. What's your kind of view on, you know, online, um, online and traditional estate agents today? Yeah, I think that's,
1: that's probably a question that just get, sort of gets more and more interesting, really. I, I think they, they, there's been a, a... And people don't realise quite how much onlines have changed in terms of the way they operate. And both onlines and traditional agents have moved towards each other quite dramatically. I mean, you know, local independent estate agents, websites and sort of digital footprints were appalling as a general rule in 2012. They have dramatically, with with so many companies improving their websites and their interaction with the portals and things like that, their websites, you you cannot compare a large number of um, agents' uh, uh, websites with where they were sort of in 2012 there's been a dramatic improvement and and because of that they understand the value of, of, of their digital footprint much more so than they did in, in in back in 2012 you know we would speak to agents in, in 2012 and they'd still be in the office you know blocking out uh, um uh, you know thursday mornings everyone was in but no one was doing viewing because that's when the local rag came out and that had their advert in and that was what was generating you know some interest phone calls bookings for the weekend that sort of thing we well, just you, you just don't hear that now that's kind of evaporated so i think most people are focusing online you know or putting a lot of effort into their online campaigns and i think what we what we're seeing is that traditional agents have reacted to the online reacted to the online and improved their messaging, you know, a lot of the time you used to hear, oh, we're the best agent in the area, we'll sell your house for more or our fees are less or whatever. It used to be quite, quite, those sort of three elements were quite regularly sort of raised when people were speaking to vendors. The agents weren't promoting themselves well enough. And I think what's happened is the onlines, whether, whether you know, traditional agents would like it or not, they, they did make the onlines really focus on the service that they offer. You know, we will do your viewings. We will look after this. We will nurture you through this. We'll advise you through every step of the way. You know, and I think actually that's where the the, the traditional agents have, have sort of really upped their game. Uh, not in terms of the service, because I think they were probably already providing that service, but more in terms of how they promote themselves to vendors. Um, and for the online, obviously they've they you know as 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 the market's grown. And more local agents are, are advertising online now, and increasing their digital footprint. The cost per acquisition has, has increased quite dramatically for the online guys. Um, and I think what what you've seen is that as a result of that, and the fact that the agents are talking more about service, they've had to increase the service that they offer, and they've also have to put their prices up. So in terms of the cost of cost of taking on a, an online agent compared with a a high street agent, those have come together quite dramatically. Like it wasn't unusual for I, I I think in the days of um uh House Network and 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 uh House Tree and companies like that, they were charging about 250 quid um to sell a property. Well all of those have crept up towards the grand thousand mark. I mean there are a couple of exceptions, but the vast majority and the main players are up, up there. And of course a lot of the traditional agents have had to come down a bit and trim things a bit. So I think, you know, they've, there's, they, they, they've come together. And I think now what we're going to get is I don't think people will differentiate that much. I think that there are just going to be a, a plethora of different agents, all offering slightly different services, which have some form of crossover. And I think, it, you know, people are going to be in a position where they can choose the agents the best fit their, their needs, which I think is good, ultimately good for vendors and good for the market. You know, and I think actually it's, it's you know, I feel quite positive that it's actually the market going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, we, we ha- haven't been kind of going as far back as you back in 2012 talking to estate agents and vendors, but even, you know, four years ago when we initially went out and spoke to estate agents and, you know, talked to them about online channels and different, you know, different mm-hmm. ways they can promote themselves. Looking at their response, Back then, which was oh well, what do you what do you mean? Face Facebook isn't that for you know sharing cat photos with my with with my family or friends? To to now, where it's you know pretty much ninety nine percent of agents you speak to are already going to be using these channels heavily. And actually, most of the time when I ask an agent, you know, what is your what are your main channels that that you use to generate business? The, The online channels are always up there. Yes, it's still you know referral based. Yes, it's still um, you know people yeah, yeah. exactly, but I think to your point, you know these two things coming together, um, perhaps that was you know accelerated by you know the impact of the online. but we're, we're seeing the exact same thing where actually a lot of agents are kind of offering that hybrid service, um and I think it actually does work out better for 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 the vendor, like That's like great. you said I think so yeah yeah so i mean I'd, I'd be curious to know obviously you Obviously, have a lot. But you're working with a lot of vendors as well that are coming through. I don't know if you kind of get much of a feel on on what their sentiment is, but has has that changed over time as things have changed?
1: Not the the agency model, of the agents. I don't think. I tell you one one thing that's quite interesting, and we saw a, a flurry of in sort of 2016 2017, which seems to have died a death. There's, there were a lot of agents suddenly started offering an online version of their service. So they would have their, their traditional state agency package and then they would say, well, you know, if you were thinking of using it online, we do have this 599. Uh, package, which means we won't do the viewing. But ultimately, that we've seen that fizzle out. I don't think that really worked for them. I think it became quite confusing. Well, hang on. So I get you at this cut down price and the difference is, and I think it probably was very hard for the agents to sort of, to sort of apply it properly. um, Because you can imagine vendors sort of wanting to take the cheaper option but then, sort of phoning up saying, "Oh, I don't suppose you could just do this or could you do that?" And you know I think that's probably quite a hard thing to actually run in reality with with vendors because because you have quite a close relationship with the vendors whilst you're dealing with the property or should do and 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 actually then to sort of say, "Oh well no actually you've you've only got this package and uh, you know we we don't we wouldn't do that is quite hard. I don't think it's probably something that either the vendors or the agents were particularly popular with so that 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 element has disappeared or would appear to have pretty much disappeared in the market so it's, it's been a you know
0: a crazy or well, really whole year to be honest with the up the, the ups and downs that, that yeah. we've had
1: few years. Um, with the brexit and the election and everything it's been it's been you know unprecedented in terms of influence on the property market so
0: with that, what's your kind of view being maybe from if we start from maybe this year to if you run us through maybe, you know, how the year started
1: and then really what, what happened and yeah. your view, where, the, the, where do you see things? January was exceptional. We saw, we saw very high instruction numbers, very good listing numbers, a lot of strong user intent, people using the site and, and going to market quite quickly um and you know good valuation not just research based there was a, there was a the commitment which is which shows a degree of and there've been loads of confidence indexes that's you know post post the general election there was a kind of a, 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 a sort of a, a a relief within the property market i think um irrespective of your sort of political standing that actually you could see a way forward people could generally thought they understood that, you know, where things were going to go for the next few years. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the Brexit picture became clearer and, and generally speaking, people felt like they could plan a bit better. So January we saw, you know, I think the property market really started to look quite positive. <clears throat> Obviously there was a lot of pent up demand and a lot of people hanging on for the general election or hanging on because of because of what had happened last year with regard to the, the brexit situation and i think we were in january you were really seeing the sort of the the flow of that property coming through through the market people going you know what 2020 that's great let's let's get things going you know even though there are still loads of um loads of you know issues that aren't resolved we can, we do sort of understand the path that we're now on. Obviously, COVID completely stopped the market. It didn't stop, bizarrely, it didn't seem to affect um, vendors' sentiment too much. People were still interested in selling their properties. We were very worried as a company that we were going to see a a lot of dropouts, a lot of people who'd already instructed an agent saying, you know what, we don't fancy this now, we're taking our property off the market and i know there have been some and there have been reports from the from the portals and uh, and, uh, and property data companies that that you know obviously there's a proportion of people pulling out of the market but generally speaking that doesn't appear to be a game changer so that that was one element that was more positive than was expected then Obviously, when the market shut down, the market shut down and, and that's it. Most agents furthered their staff and, 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 you know, they weren't allowed to do viewings and effectively the market shut. So it went on to hold. Following the release of that, I think it would be fair to say that just about everyone we've spoken to has been pleasantly surprised by the uptick in, in volume of of business business coming through. Now, a lot of that's online because people still don't want to go down the high street, still don't want to go into agent's branches. A lot of agent's branches are still shut. So there's been a huge surge of, of, of property coming onto line and instructing agents and going forward. And I think that's the bit. It's one thing people liking the idea of putting their house on the market and moving. But now what's becoming clear is that this is not just a catch up from two months worth of the market being closed down this is something considerably more and and our our thoughts on that are that 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 effectively it's people you know whose whose lives have changed or their outlook has changed quite dramatically from from pre covid so they've they've you know They desperately want a garden now. They're re-evaluating their life, and actually, then thrown into the mix on that, there's also people going, selling their properties who don't feel they need to get the absolute most out of that sale. There are people in London we know, and you know, and I have friends the same. Are going actually, you know, we're going to sell the houses we bought them as much as we bought it for a few years ago, and, and actually, we don't care. We just want to move now. So I think there's been a dramatic change in sentiment in terms of how people regard their property compared to their lifestyle. And I think, you know, also there's probably a lot of people who would like to move in with their kids because maybe they don't fancy going into nursing homes or, you know, there's, there's a lot of drivers to the market. So you've got the catch up from the market being paused for a couple of months. You've got people re-evaluating how they want to, to live um, and whether that be gardens or or moving in with moving in with relatives and then And then, I think people who are, are looking at for a bit of a life change and, and sort of have decided that that's more important than making value out of their property. so I think, I think those are probably and incredibly low interest rates and you know talk of a stamp duty pause and up to five hundred thousand and things like that, have sort of, have sort of put some fuel onto the property market and actually it would appear to be moving very well. The question is, how long for? And I don't think anyone really can answer that. We think October and November is probably going to be quite difficult. Um, in terms of, in terms of, you, we might find that the market slows quite dramatically with people, sort of the first tranche of people who want to change things sort of taking place now. And then a, a, a sort of more people thinking, well, let's just hang on to 2021 and then we can reevaluate um, so but but it wouldn't surprise me if there was enough of a, those elements that we've just discussed were enough of a kickstart to actually push the market forward and we see the market continuing quite strongly a lot of it a lot of it goes on to sentiment and job losses and, uh, and stock market holding up and uh, you know and things like that um, uh, but ultimately if you take it back to its core you know planning commissions are very difficult here we don't have enough houses and and you know we're a relatively densely populated country with with you know so so and that combined with low interest rates is probably enough to keep property prices at least uh, uh where they are or increasing slightly but we'll just see the transaction labels move up and down so on on the other side of things right
0: so we speak to agents who have maybe just entered the market, say last year, maybe they started in late late last year, obviously it was Christmas, then January, and you know now this has happened um, you know for new agents entering the market either you know within the last twelve months or, or or about to enter the market if they're so bold enough right now um what would what would your advice be to them, you know given where we are right now, you know, what we're expecting to happen, where general trends are going. Um, if you were speaking to an agent, you know, somebody looking to get into the market or a friend perhaps, what would you tell
1: them? I think your comment about it being a bold move is probably correct. I think this is, think this is a, a very difficult time to come into the market as a new agent for several reasons. One, we've probably got more variety in the market than we've ever seen before you know, in terms of the, the, the different types of agents and, and how they, you know, how many varieties of agents are actually operating at the moment. So it's very, very hard to have a USP, you know, to be to be unique in this market is it, very difficult. Um, I think, I personally believe in, in a difficult market, people tend to lean towards um, established agents because I think there's a there's sort of, you know, if people are slightly nervous in a market, they will tend to go with brands that they know they're less likely to work on the basis of a price you know, oh well it's a new agent they're offering a discount let's go with them. I think people will tend to revert to to to, um, uh, to brands they know and brands that they feel probably a little more secure with. So I think anyone who's coming into, into the market would have to, I, my recommendation would be to be very, very realistic on the fees you're likely to be able to charge um, if you're genuinely trying to get a, a, a foothold. Because it's not like, you know, maybe back in 2012, where if you were launching a branch, you could do 1% including that and you pick up a certain amount of property because that was that was undercutting a lot of the competition. It would let you get you know a few properties in your shop window and build up some momentum. There are agents offering less than that now. So to come in and say, <clears throat> right, we're going to do it on price alone or we're going to do it on, on service. I think it's very difficult. I, I, you know, I, I'm not an estate agent. We work with hundreds of estate agents, but I think, you know, obviously service, but then a lot of agents are offering very, very good service anyway. So I, I, I think it's very, very difficult. So I think unless you've got some link or connection, that's going to let you really get a foot up um then I you know, or you're gonna specialise in in, in in an agency that works with with developers and you think you've got some sort of unique proposition that will really, really uh work with that. I I think it's very difficult. And I think if it were a friend of mine I'd probably be saying, hang on for a bit, see where the market goes before you before you go all in with the expenses of setting up a branch, because you could find yourself having to run for twelve months. Twenty-four months before you actually build up enough momentum to, to 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 sort of get going and run properly, I think I think it's quite difficult. I think there's a lo- still a lot of agents out there. We've unfortunately seen, you know, quite a few agents, quite established agents, going to administration, and I think you know, I think that's that's it's not the easiest time to set up a new estate agency at the moment. And I think anyone anyone should really look at why they think that people would 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 find them appealing over the existing agencies in their location. Yeah, completely. And I think,
0: you know, reading reading between the lines there a little bit, one of the things you said at, at the start was, you know, during times like this, people are probably more likely to go with an established brand who yeah. they feel a little bit more confident about. One one of the things that you know I think is becoming more and more important in a state agency is just that, building up that brand and actually um not not and you know you've got that you've got the shop front brand that people obviously recognize but then it's actually who's behind that brand who are you actually yeah. dealing with and you know we just had um we've actually got a new a new episode of of this going live today in a couple of hours with a gentleman named Simon Taylor um going with more of the kind of self-employed model um and you know he's the you know he's the brand he's on the boards people deal with him directly um, and it's really that 360 service, and and really, you know, he came from over from Purple Brick, so you could you could yeah. argue it was the complete opposite to to this new kind of of way of doing it. And you know, that that then encompasses giving that good service, which of course, you know, everybody is is pushing when everybody says they give a good service. But it's that that I what I see is what I would recommend to people. You know, if they are coming in, focus on really building up that brand. Not just the name, but actually the people behind it as well. Because ultimately, it's the oldest—you know, oldest thing in the book. Property is a people, it's it's a, a people-led industry. Um, so yeah, no. People-led,
1: it, sentiment-driven. I mean, it's it's you know, it is, it is exactly that.
0: Okay, cool. So we've gone through some kind of you know very property-based questions. Um, we're going to flip the script a little bit have a little bit of fun just to finish up on uh, a couple of fun, fun questions. Um, mm-hmm. First one I've got for you is what's a, uh, what's a pet peeve you've got or something that gets under your skin uh, within the property industry?
1: Oh, it's the, in the, yeah, that's an easy one. The, the reputation of the agents is still not good enough. They still, there's still, uh, uh, you know, this needs to be more to be done to make it, uh, uh, make it understood as a proper, um, uh, profession I think that's that's very important I think there's a couple of a couple of reasons why we do that We see some very you know you still see some some very sales based attitudes within a state agency that are the very hard you know sell could be selling cars last week going to give a state agency a go this week you know and and i think that's that's a shame and I think that that damages the profession as a whole because on a whole you know the profession works very very well but you still have that perception and that i find i find irritating i think i think there are some fairly smallish changes that could be made um, around qualifications and such like that that could have a dramatic impact on the on the industry but unfortunately because of the the sums that are involved and the way that it is still ultimately a, a, a sales profession at the end of the day i think it's i think it struggles with reputation and that's my you know, and has done for a long time, and people still haven't, you know, the, the, the governing bodies still haven't managed to shake that. And I think that's, I think that's a shame.
0: So, so you think one of the potential solutions to that is having some more qualification in the beginning?
1: Yeah, I don't think people. that would hurt. I think that, I think that would be, I think that would probably be a, um, you know, a, a better I think that would work quite well for the industry. I don't think, I can't see much of a problem with that. I think bring it in slowly because it's hard enough for agencies at the moment, let alone having to deal with some some new regulation, you know, overnight. These things, these things you know, it hasn't been sorted out for a long time, but there are steps that could gently be filtered in that would make a, a huge difference to that. And I think that, that is, that is, you know, and a lot of it's wrong as well. So it's a lot of it's a lot of the work that's done is already in place for that not to be the case, but it still needs more. I still think, as a profession, it's it's irritating that it has it has the sort of you know not the best perception as a, in terms of a, a career or or you know how people perceive their estate agent. And I will say a lot of that in the past has been that agents or a lot of agents, have been very bad at actually explaining how much work they do to get a sale across the line. It's been one of my sort of bugbears. That, you know, a really good agent knows the valuer, knows the conveyance uh, no you know, and and is able to steer the relationship of the of the vendor and get that sale across the line. And they tend to sort of say, oh, you know, we've got to get the, the sale through. But the vendors don't understand what that actually constitutes. They don't understand that hammering away on the phones, the fact that the conservances may not return the phone calls to the agent. The agent has to phone like eight times to find out what's going with the chain. You might have a couple of agents who aren't pulling their weight and aren't following the chain. So your agent's actually phoning up and down the chain. You know, and I think, you know, people just assume that they stick it on right move and maybe show a couple of people around and that's that's all that's done. Well that's not what a good agent does. And I think getting across the actual work that takes place behind the scenes is 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 one of the ways that the market could improve itself, you know. So people really understood what a good agent does for you. It's not just the local knowledge and the, the bits that are sort of tend to go out on 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 you know advertising or whatever. It's actually the hours spent following things through, making sure that you know the the, the building regulations for a window is in place and it's not going to make the sale fall through and you know things like that. That, that vendors just don't understand that need to be done to get something get something to go through property, and I think that's that's you know that is that is you know very important to explain that to to the public and, and vendors you know the work that goes on behind the scenes.
0: You know, I'm, 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 it's interesting that you ended on that term behind the scenes because that's exactly what I was thinking as as you were saying that you know if. And it's true, actually, when, it, when I think about it, I very rarely see agents talking about what they actually do. You know, they'll promote their services, they might get content written, you know, they might yeah. um, talk, talk to people about it a little bit, but actually, yeah, explaining that whole process, because until you do that, people are just kind of going to assume you're doing the absolute minimal yeah. possible. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that, people that's are quite that's willing to, to understand that when you speak to a solicitor or your lawyer, Um, The minute you pick up the phone, they press a button that records the time and then that's a chargeable element. But of course that doesn't, and and so when you get your bill, you would have those times, you know, if you requested it, you could have all that itemized and listed out. Well, it's an hour on the phone here, 20 minutes here, we went through the file here, we did this. And I think it would be fascinating for agents to actually, you know, be in a position they wouldn't want to spend the time recording it in a lot of instances, but a lot of, a lot of you know, companies do so they can understand the efficiency of stuff. But it would be quite interesting for vendors to actually see and fully understand what's happened in the background. And actually, a sale that goes through that's really stress-free, it probably still has a lot of the complications that another sale does. not it just means that your agent has been extremely good in handling those, you know, the bumps in the road and getting the sale across the line. And I think that's that's you know that's the sign of a really good agent is that the vendor is maybe unaware of how much has had to be done, you know, behind the scenes to get the sale through. So
0: how would a how would an agent go about communicating that, or or actually making it clear
1: what what really goes into uh, oh, the process? It's communication with the with with the vendor, just keeping them informed all the time of what what they're doing. How they're operating, uh, and, and and you know the trouble is that actually communicating with the vendor, you, you know, some of the time you could panic them unnecessarily, or you could say something that winds them up. But it, it's such a it's such a you know important element in the in in the vendor's mind, or, or you know, that actually you could create some issues for you. But you know, and I think the reason why it doesn't happen is because it's difficult to do. You know, but ultimately I think, I think, you know, having a pack that you gave to a vendor that says, just you're, you're clear on the process of how the sale should proceed, this is it. And, and, and these are what we do at this point. This is why we're, you know, worth what we're worth. Because actually we're chasing up here, we follow up here, we do this, we do that. So that the, the vendors have a clear sort of map, a route to completion and understand, you know, the process, they then have some appreciation, hopefully, for what the agents are actually doing, but, you know, what a good agent is actually doing behind the scenes. Got it,
0: okay, second to last question for you. Um, Looking back, it can be your career here or it can be previously, how has a failure or perceived failure led you to a later success or do you have kind of, when you look back, do you have a favorite Failure that you look back at that actually, you know, at the time maybe it, it seemed like a, a big problem, but then it later led round to um, some, something good happening.
1: Yeah, I think I think for us, and I, I, I it's difficult to go into much detail on this, but I think from our point of view, when we when we launched Nest Agent, we obviously wrote our communications to the agents um, ourselves, and you know, we were very we were very sort of lean at the time and having to do everything ourselves. And and the site didn't work. The agents didn't engage with us in the slightest. I mean, there was just, we, we were getting properties listing. We were then reaching out to the agents saying, would you like to put a proposal forward, marketing proposal forward on this property? And we got nothing, like nothing back. There was no engagement from the agents. <laughs> and we sort of we sort of sat down and looked at things and said, well, oh, you know, maybe maybe we've massively, you know, okay, we've spoken to loads of agents about would this be appealing and you know is this something they'd use and, uh, and we got positive feedback, but maybe that's what people say when they're sitting face to face with you because they don't want to sort of upset you or don't want I don't know. Anyway, it tur- it turned out that we just changed a few of the words and a few of the time frames and and a bit of the text and it was like flicking a switch. So I think from our point of view, the biggest biggest sort of failures we've had is when we haven't understood the language that we should be using. Um, and even though it was perfectly normal, it either, like when you drilled into it, gave the impression of it being, um, you know, very competitive or, or, or you know, you've got to do it in a certain time frame or you've got, and it just, it just pushes people away. People make decisions on whether to interact with another company, you know, very, very, very quickly. And if you don't get your text and your terminology right and your engagement right, then, then it doesn't matter how good a product you've got, it's not going to work. Um, and I think that's, you know, especially if you're relying on email communications and things like that, if you, it, you know, unless you get that right, You could you could offer exactly the same product and change two or three words in the email and get no engagement because people either think it's going to be too time consuming or it's below them they don't want to you know they don't like the idea of a sort of a a site where they're competing or but but putting forward a marketing proposal is appealing and I think that that's probably been that was the steepest learning curve for us that actually we need to crawl over everything and be very very guarded about. What you say, because understandably it's easy to put people off you know there's so much online that is not what it's promised to be that if you if you have a you know anything that suggests that 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 you know it's not going to work as well as they'd like it to then then they're not companies aren't going to engage with you that, so that, that's that's our you know getting the language right when you're communicating with people is. Be it vendors or or landlords or agencies, is, is absolutely critical. That, that
0: that's a really interesting one, actually. And you know, we see if we're creating any type of communication, if it's email, if it's an advert, whatever it is, irrespective of what the you know the the actual co- the actual content is of that, people do make their minds up in a split second. Particularly today, yeah. when it is on a screen and they're literally flicking through And what we found is really the the initial whether it's the headline. Whether it's that first bit of text, well, really whatever the first thing is that the person on the other side is reading, that's really 80% of what constitutes a success of, of whatever you're trying to do. It's that initial yeah. headline. And, you know, more and more today, particularly in, in the environment in which we consume news and, and really all content, it is a, you know, it's a news feed driven world where actually we're just kind of getting little snippets and it and it is kind of making us make decisions quicker and quicker.
1: I think this is one of the issues for independent agents i mean if you're if you're a site like us and you're you know you're dealing with thousands thousands of um uh, of individuals then then you can test heavily so you can say, okay, we know we've got a problem here we we'll run this email we'll run this email we'll run this cons we'll you know uh, this is how we're this is our report that we're right this is and and what you what you can do there is obviously change things and compare them you can run two at the same time you can split testing. Whatever. Whereas, if you're a smaller uh, agency online dealing with less, you just don't have that opportunity to split test because you don't have enough numbers to actually gather any data back from the comms. And I think that's that's something that's quite difficult. You know, as as a lot of you know people who are not wouldn't see themselves as a, as a, a sort of strictly online business for them to know how to communicate because it isn't just what sounds polite and what sounds it's in some cases entirely irrational and actually not you know very often we trial things and we're like oh, I really don't think that'll work and it worked brilliantly or vice versa we're like oh that's a really nicely worded that that you know and it just gets zero engagement. So I think you know that is something that's going to be interesting going forward with agents as they as they increase their digital footprint and you know because some of them through just luck alone are going to, are going to do brilliantly and others despite taking a lot of time and really thinking about things and writing something beautifully it isn't going to work and then it's not necessarily logical you know and i think that's going to be that's going to be quite you know in layman's terms it's going to be very interesting to see how that how that sort of operates you know and how they get around that
0: when we When we speak to agents initially if, if they you know, want to find out more about us, one of the questions we always ask is you know what what things have you been doing you know what have you tried out and there 's almost always a sense of disillusionment in, in if they 're trying anything that 's direct themselves there's almost a sense of you know we 've tried this it didn 't really work, we tried this, it was okay, but not great and to your point, I think part of it is just the fact that they haven 't been able to actually properly test um, that medium because you know you, you might say this medium works one what wo- yeah. really well for one agent but then it doesn't for another well is it the medium or is it the way that it's used or is um, it the
1: location or is it the the type of you know yeah. it, it's so varied and that's the thing you're looking at a single medium ineffective online or a single uh, sort of metric but ultimately it's staggeringly broad because it still has the geography thrown into the background it still has the type of end of the value of property that you know and i think that's 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 why there's you know there's no one size fits all Uh, and i think that the testing and actually finding out what works is is you know hugely important you know and i know there's a lot of there's a lot of software companies and, uh, and companies now sort of producing you know, and trying to help with that on the engagement side of things. And I think that's, but I think that is a growth, growth industry. I think that's going to become very, very important going forward. Yeah. One of the things that
0: tend to surprise agents is when we say, okay, so here's what, you know, an average campaign might look like for you. We usually run about 250 variations to begin with, and you just see them go silent for a moment and almost like a little light bulb goes off in their head when they say, wait, what, what, why would you, why would you run all of those different variations and it's for the exact same reason we spoke yeah, about you just you just do not know what's going to work until you put it out there and most of the time it is actually not the not the thing you thought it would be because fundamentally humans no matter how much we like to think we're not we are irrational a lot of the time yeah. we're not yeah. we're not logical you know we're not we're not logical most of the time we make decisions based on emotion and, and justify it with logic later a lot of the time you know no one likes to admit that but that is really what it comes down to. Um, but yeah, no, really interesting that you, you gave that point. Okay. So final, final one to f- finish up on bit of a different one. Um, so we imagine uh, you're, you know, way into the future. It's your last day on the planet. Um, you I'm can't leave any future bit there. I don't know way, exactly. way, way, into the future. You know, we're talking, <laughs> you know, infinite number of years forward. Um, you can't leave anything physical behind, you know, your, your business, material, assets, um, to to you know to your family the people you love, but you can leave them with one single piece of advice. Um, if you were if you were going to tell them something, what would you
1: what would you leave them with? I'd probably go with, don't ever work for yourself hoping it's going to be an easier option than working with or someone else. I think that's probably (laughs) the best advice. I know several people who, you know, started companies or gone into things because they want to, you know, think they're going to spend more time with their family or think it's going to be easier. I I know very few people who've managed to do that actually setting up their own companies or working for themselves. It becomes all-consuming. And in a lot of cases, very rewarding. But not easier. <laughs> and I would say think very hard and assess what you want to do very carefully before you you launch your own company and make sure that you are you are genuinely interested and involved in the subject that you that you start in. Because I think otherwise, it's it's very hard. Love that. I think that's a very yeah. good piece of advice very, coming
0: very from. Coming <laughs> I, I think that's a, a a lovely way to to finish up. Uh, today's episode and i just want to thank you uh for your time no it's welcome. really it's, it's really been good you know get, getting you on going a little bit deeper uh into different topics and I, I think you know a lot of people will actually find value in um the things we've talked about today so yeah thank you for generosity of your time and uh, i hope we do another one soon
1: yeah
0: okay well thank <laughs> you thanks Cheers. Bye. Okay.